Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is Siri. Who is Zach Mabry? Zach Mabry. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Okay, it's a wonderful day. You can tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. You can email us, podcast at romancircusblog.com. Find us on iTunes. Rate and review us if you get a chance. We're also on Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. And you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash romancircuspod. All right, Zach, it's been a... It's always it's always a weird, wild week here at the Roman Circus Industries. Um What's oh, what's it? going on? What's going on in the news? Do you have any personal stuff you want to share with the audience? They always like personal Zach Mabry stories. Do they? Um, I mean, kinda. I uh, I had an eye exam today, and then I, I purchased glasses from Warby Parker. All is right. that a, is that a person or is that a shop? What's the deal? Oh, it, it's kind of a. They're like a trendy glasses company. Trendy because they do this thing where you can buy the glasses online. And try them on at home, and then send them back, and you can get a bunch of pairs, and then pick the ones you want. Mm-hmm. And I got I got them with a blue light filter. Ooh, fancy! Yeah, um, listeners get that. Question: When you walked out of there, did you pay full price and just go on your merry way, or what? What happened with that? Um. Well, like, I mean, a, there was a discount with my vision plan. Oh, okay. is that what you're asking? No, I'm just asking if, like, did someone call you later and tell you you didn't end up paying the full amount? Oh, That's kind of oh okay. I'm yeah, no. I'm so, setting you up. Okay, yeah. No, so I, I had went and got an eye exam today before the glasses thing, and right. I uh, I realized I didn't have my health savings card, so I just used my credit card to pay. And they, they tell me the amount, and I'm like, okay, and they ring it up. And then um, 30 minutes later, I'm walking out of the place uh, where I was looking at glasses, which is a different place. And I get a phone call, and they're like, we uh, underbilled you by 50 cents. Um, so we were just going to leave that on your account, and you can take care of it next time you're here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay. but So I, I charged them a dollar for the phone call. So actually now they owe me 50 cents. Yeah, did you say, uh, just give me a second. I can talk to you in official CPA capacity so I can actually charge you for this. Yeah, actually, I need to hire that guy because... Oh, that would improve my invoicing process substantially. I know that's it's fifty cents. What a amazing! You should just go and put two quarters on there on the counter and be like, "Here you go," and walk away. I know. I should just go in and give them two George Washingtons and be on my merry way. Be on your merry way. Okay, so what about speaking the, uh, of President what? George Washington? <laughs> Okay, good. Wow. Okay, tell me more. Um, s- surprise of the century. Um, it, the the Mueller report came out, and it turns out uh, Donald Trump did not pull off the most ridiculous and impossible uh, conspiracy of you know all human history. No, Zach, did he not? No, I, I mean, I. Who are the people that think that Trump is smart enough to have done that and not gotten caught? The same people that buy Robert Mueller votive candles and like sing 
Christmas songs about Robert Mueller. Like Robert Mueller is going to have to get investigated now next because you know why something's obviously up for play for playing with our emotions, Zach. Yeah, he must he must be a he must be an agent of Putin too. Both him and Trump. No, I mean, I mean so okay. I appreciate that it took two years to do all this because because like you if if you're going through a serious thing like the president of the United States colluding with a foreign power, you kind of want to make sure that you uncover everything, right? So the time the time frame didn't really bother me as much as like you just kind of started realizing that there was probably nothing at all, right? Like at some point you just I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a professional digger upper man or anything. But hey, well, they. It's like they knew. They had proof that someone at the Trump campaign knew ahead of time um, about the email dump, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it. WikiLeaks announced ahead of time that the email dump was coming. Right. So we we all knew if you were on Twitter, and then they there was that weird meeting with that insane Russian woman that was you know the, under the guise that it was an adoption thing. And then Natalia Vetsel in the sky off, right? Yeah. Um, again, a, a meeting with a lunatic woman is not uh, an example <laughs> of collusion. That's what um, I. That's what I call a Friday night. You know, yeah, anybody, hey. anyone, anyone, no one. Um, but <laughs> I mean, if it had happened, the yeah. investigation would have taken five minutes because he would have bragged about it at Mar-a-Lago and gotten picked up on tape. And it would have been over. I mean, it, it just defies logic to think that Donald Trump is smart enough to have have done to have colluded with you know a foreign power to capture the presidency of the United States, mm-hmm. um, and there be no evidence. And well, it's it's like the same thing of people talking about how stupid George W. Bush is, and then. St- also claiming that there's got to be a conspiracy for 9-11 right like it's, exactly people can't people can't be the dumbest person in the world but also a genius evil mastermind right and that's where you you really do have to pick one or the other and i, I think with trump uh the the genius mastermind thing is is a stretch i think even, <laughs> even his you know most fervent supporters would probably agree right um you know i i think they like him because he speaks his mind and is pragmatic um not because he's a genius though i guess well, he brags yeah. about his iq his iq is off the, it's got to be at least 600 at this point i you this would seem like a good time for the democrats to settle down and focus on what really matters winning back the white house in 2020 but i feel like it's i feel like they're going to try and just extend this as much as they can but who knows it it's like it's I don't know I don't know any it's weird too watching all these clips you they're just the they're set they set up they set up Fox News just so perfectly too like it everyone rips on Fox News and then they give them all this ammunition to just like tee off on these people right and it's not and it's not like it's not like Fox like we said last week it's not like Fox is talking to an audience of zero they basically you get you give them these opportunities to put together these clip packages of these crazy russian conspiracies and then they blast it out to their their fans who watch them loyally every night and it makes the other side look even more crazy right 
And I mean, and it, it's just one of those every every turn of the story just gets more ridiculous. So in addition to you know pulling off this spectacular conspiracy without anyone knowing, so Trump secretly and successfully colluded with Russia in order to prove that uh, the Democratic Party was cheating out was cheating Bernie Sanders out of the nomination, mm-hmm. and somehow this is the crime of the century. I mean, it it just it was dumb, and people honestly, you you shouldn't have ever even thought this was true. Yeah, that's the I don't know. It it's, you were wrong, and you should feel bad. I'm just kidding. Right? Uh, no, I mean, when it, we just when we elect our loyal president Andrew Yang, we won't have to worry about him conspiracy with anybody yes the yang gang is all registered voters <laughs> no apparently yeah. and i didn't know this uh, apparently i think it was uh michael doherty mm-hmm. michael brendan doherty sorry um who said a lot of the people that he blocked on twitter back during the 2016 election were like your green frog alt-right types mm-hmm. and he looked at his list of blocked people and he he said a bunch of them are now yang gang people Right, supporting yeah. Andrew Yang for the Democratic nomination. Right, it's it's almost like there are people online that just like to cause cause a hubbub and don't actually don't actually care about things as long as they're just poking the bear. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I you know, and I will I will state as my disclaimer I. I am not a Pepe the Frog meme, nor do I actually support Andrew Yang. I just like the idea of saying Yang Gang a bunch. It's fun. It's fun, guys. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so that's that. That's all. So, yeah, Mueller happened. I'm trying to think. What, or Mueller. Um, did anything else happen in the United States? No, I think that's pretty much the only thing. I mean, uh, there was the whole Jesse Smollett thing, but if you want to talk about that or not, he just, whatever. There were like so many twists and turns in that story. Yeah. So yeah, the charges were dropped. Uh, they basically agreed to community service and he had to pay a fine and, uh, yeah. And then America's America's most beloved mayor, Rahm Emanuel got all heated on television. It was, uh, yeah, it was quite the thing yeah well Rahm Rahm Emanuel is is an interesting case he is we'll leave it at that sure uh, so you know I'm not on Twitter anymore and I I, I don't have social like I have I'm offline essentially for Mm -hmm. Lent so like Mm -hmm. what's happening anything else happening pop culture did Destiny's Child get back together like what what do we got no there's not, not nothing really I I'll take a quick look at a at this the Twitter moments here. That's always that's always fun. That'll that'll Twitter moments are great because it's like the internet is in love with Ariana Grande's new dress, and it's just like five tweets that have no likes or no retweets that are like, "Oh, we love her new dress." Uh, yeah, I don't. Everyone's jacked up about Avengers Endgame. That's basically what's going on. Love it. Yeah, are you jacked up for Avengers Endgame? Zach? Um, I blanked out trying to think of what... Okay, is that the, is that the actual last movie? Uh, yeah, I think it's like three hours long, too. Oh, my. 
Yeah, I would need to see. I need them to break that up so I have time for a nap. Yeah, they need to make it turn into three hour long episodes. Yes. Okay, so um, the other the other thing that kind of was on Twitter, and this will kind of segue into what we're talking about this week. We're we're talking about uh, papal authority, right? That's the mm-hmm. that's what we're going with this week. Well, oh no, like papal papal, papal diplomacy. Sorry. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Overall, we'll do some episodes about um, how the Vatican works, the Holy See, the papacy kind of the the structures there because a lot of that it's really interesting um but a lot of times it, it doesn't really get mentioned much and yeah so, I, a lot of cool facts so yeah papal diplomacy not authority i misspoke but so yeah. one thing that was going around there was this video of pope francis people trying to kiss his ring and he would this video was just showing him yanking his hand away right and it was it was like a private audience of some monk was it some monks and also some lay people or was it yeah i think uh, there were monks none there were just men and women religious and and some okay lay people gotcha so uh so the yeah the, the bbc video said was, there were about 113 people in the line right so the video yeah the video is kind of short but it was and uh you know of my own opinion it was kind of it was pretty awkward it what it showed was people trying to kiss his ring and pope francis like smiling and yanking his hand back okay um and of course as things and everything involving pope francis does it created some sort of stir and people were kind of debating whether or not that was the correct thing to do or what the correct thing to do in that situation is so yeah what it, okay I know we talked about it briefly before, but there is basically a protocol when meeting the Pope, right? Yes. And, you know, that's where, you know, the person, the, I would say the people at fault were the the event hosts who, who should have instructed these people on what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so to save you all the embarrassment, Zach is going to teach you what to do if you meet the Pope. Okay. Right, that's what they do oh. with the queen. If if Queen Elizabeth is coming in, there, I assume, are like a basically like seven layers of people constantly reminding you what to do while meeting the queen. Yes. Um, so, and I don't know what you do for you meeting the queen when you meet the Pope. Uh, if, you know, if he approaches you or you approach him in a receiving line, you would just genuflect onto your left knee. You genuflect on your right knee to. Uh, Christ in the Eucharist, and then your left knee to the Vicar of Christ. Um, and then if um, if he extends his hand to you, you may kiss his ring. Right. Um, you should not go grabbing for his hand on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it it's a symbol of hierarchy, and it is the the superior person. It's It's their prerogative to extend the hand. You know, I mean... So at the end of the day, he wasn't so much jerking his hand away. I mean, they were grabbing at his hand. I mean, I, right? I, I don't but, know. I would be disappointed if I went and he didn't extend the ring and I couldn't kiss. I mean, you know, I would want to kiss the Pope's ring. I will totally mm-hmm. say. Sure. Um, but also there, there's one point where, okay, when they were just in the line and, you know, one after the other, I think there were 19 times he uh, he did not extend the hand um, when somebody tried so you know when it's one after the other and you can't see what's happening in front of you that's one thing but there's one point where they kind of fan out and like 
four of them do the same thing, all grabbing at his hand. Mm-hmm. And that's really not that's not appropriate. I mean, the you know the the Pope is is the vicar of Christ. He's the sovereign of the Vatican City State, and you shouldn't try to embarrass him like that. I mean, it was obvious that he didn't wasn't extending his hand for these people to kiss it. I don't understand why each of them had to make a point of grabbing at it. I mean, it was clear after that first one, you know, what he wanted. So, I mean, yes. Yeah. I'd be disappointed if I went and met him and didn't get to kiss the ring, but it's his choice. Okay, yeah. Do you think... That's what Zach says. What does Matt say? uh, Yeah, I agree. I think think there could... A way to prevent that... Quick... Okay, quick story. This is a mutual friend of ours. Uh, he he met Pope Benedict the Sixteenth probably seven years ago. Okay, mm-hmm. seven eight years ago. He had a private audience. A group of them were able to meet Pope Benedict, and he walks. He says he told me he said, "I'm sitting there waiting to meet the Pope, and I am so nervous. Like he's never been more nervous for anything." Right. He walks up, greets Pope Benedict. He just stands there for a second, and then he walks back to the group. And one person he was with said, what did Pope Benedict say to you? And this guy said, he said nothing to me. And the group looked at our friend and said, Pope Benedict was talking to you the entire time. He was talking. He asked you questions. So our friend no, was— No, okay. P- pope Benedict is a very quiet man. Okay. Yeah, but I well the my my yeah my point though being, he he was so nervous that he just kind of didn't even know what was going on, right? So I think there's a chance that the, some of these people were so nervous, right? Now that doesn't excuse if they were told not to kiss his ring, but there is an element of being nervous to see the leader of the church, top five most famous person in the entire world, right? And I think it sure. would benefit it would benefit by having a second second oldest pope sure <laughs> right it uh i think it would benefit to have someone standing right by these people as they approach and just say kneel no kissing kneel right like literally well, if you normally that's what you look at a receiving line somebody there would be the first person you know would just kind of tell them or there'd be you know on the program or something in in the main languages of the people there Mm-hmm. Um, a thing because I mean realistically all those people were because um, I don't think they were if they were priests but all those people were either lay people or religious roughly of the same rank they should have all there should have been a standard greeting mm-hmm. and it realistically would have just been genuflecting and then at the Pope's invitation kissing the ring um, you know the the idea with you know a monarchy and a structure like the Pope is deference and submission so yeah, if it, if they were told and they did it anyway, then that is on them completely. Like it's it's putting right. putting your own wants above the decorum of the situation. And if they weren't told, for the most part, it's just kind of awkward. Um, except for that group in the video. I don't know. Did you do you know what I'm talking about? When like Wait. all of them did it, and they were standing next to each other, so they could see each one of them and how uncomfortable they were making him. No, I didn't see that. Well, um, but yeah, I mean, in, the same thing would happen with, uh, if you were meeting your bishop in your diocese, you would genuflect on your left knee and at his invitation kiss his ring. 
Um, but uh, even him, you know, there's no reason to go uh, grabbing for the hand if he's not extending it to you. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the few times I've met bishops or had bishops come in, uh, what I've done in that situation. Because I do remember kneeling, and I, but I don't remember if I, like, grabbed at his hand or if I, you know, tried to give him a hug or what what I did because it is kind of it is a sorry sorry one second it is kind of like a it is kind of like a thing so we had Archbishop Schneider come in or Bishop Schneider from uh, Kazakhstan Mm -hmm. and he's like I I read his book on the Eucharist and all this stuff and like was very excited to meet this guy like he's he's very well respected and I'm standing right in front of him and I just had this moment of like oh no what do I do right so, right. sorry, what were you going to say? Um, well, I, I guess I imagine this was really controversial for Americans mm-hmm. because we just don't have hierarchy and monarchy in our blood like people, mm-hmm. you know, in other parts of the world do. But I'd be interested to hear what people elsewhere had to say that, you know, are are used to these types of gestures with... Uh, you know, people who outrank them. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, he, but yeah, again, I mean, if you meet him, just genuflect on your left knee. And uh, if he extends his hand, then kiss the ring. George Bush yeah. shook his hand when he came to the United States. Uh, that's, I mean, that sounds like a George W. thing to do. Yeah. And then JFK didn't kiss the Pope's ring when he went to the Vatican City. Which and pope look would that how that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, is he embarrassed now. Um, which pope would have been JFK's pope? Uh, pope St. Paul, Paul VI. Paul VI, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, but, you know, it is inter- it's neat the way that all of this works, and that's where, um, you know, it was a coincidence that we wanted to start talking about, you know, Vatican popey stuff, and and then this kind of protocol controversy happened um yeah we thank we thank everyone for setting us up nicely everyone got together and made this really awkward video so we could talk about it well it's funny because like you'll watch um downton abbey or the crown and you'll see everybody fainting over over some matter of protocol that like just seems so insignificant Mm -hmm. and you know i'm not saying this is that obviously it was 19 people that wanted to kiss the ring but at the same time um, you know, I don't really know what happens when, you know, the Pope pulls his hand back a couple times. You know, I, if that's all the, if that's what we've got to complain about, I'd say we ha- we're having a good week. I always liked on Downton Abbey when they would get after someone for serving food the wrong way. When they would like, you gotta, you gotta come over their left shoulder, not the right shoulder. Or make sure the forks are out. Who is it? Uh, Archie? No, wait. What was the one that was always trying to get with Daisy? And he... uh, all of them. <laughs> the one at the very end or the beginning? Uh, yeah, like beginning to middle. And he, I so think not he's William. The, no, who's the one that died? The one that in, can't read. Who was one that died in battle? William. He didn't die in battle, but he died of his injuries after they got married. Oh. Spoiler alert! It might have been him. No, oh, Perhaps. the other, oh, sorry, I'm thinking of Mrs. Padmore's 
uh, like nephews. I'm getting my characters mixed up. William is the one I was thinking of. Oh, okay. anyway, anyway, uh, that's it's another the, one that can't read. No, that's the Downton Abbey weekly report. Let's carry on. So, okay, so uh, papal diplomacy. Yeah. So, for background, most people know. You know, if you've if you've been to the the Holy See or you've you've heard about it, that um, the Vatican City State is a sovereign nation, sovereign mm-hmm. you know entity, um, but it, it's fully inside um, the nation of Italy, the capital being Rome, um, and you know this is kind of the unfortunate situation that the Church has been in for the last um, century or more. I guess quite a bit. I guess the current arrangement was made in 1929. Um, but basically after the Italian, um, kind of the Italian version of the Freemasons uh, stole the Papal States, um, there was kind of a long standoff about what to do. And then finally the agreement was reached that um, the church would keep this kind of small section of land um, as a sovereign entity. and right. uh, And then it would recognize the uh, newly formed nation of Italy. Right. Um, So it's two states. And, you know, because of that, it's not just like the worldwide headquarters of, you know, the Boys and Girls Club of America. Um, It's, it is a a sovereign entity. And so it has an entire, um, you know, it has diplomatic operations Mm -hmm. and, much like a nation where, you know, the, the Vatican exchanges, you know, embassies with with other nations and nations, you know, the way that they relate to the Catholic Church um, is by uh, sending an ambassador to the Holy See and then mm-hmm. vice versa. The Holy See sends out its ambassadors. And, you know, that is a a better understanding of how of what the church is, you know, understanding how nations relate to the church and why nation states don't have. Uh, any jurisdiction regarding church matters, matters or the governing of the church. Um, and so, but yeah, a cool aspect of this that we're going to talk about is papal diplomacy. Right. So this, this kind of came about cause I realized before we talked before, uh, Cardinal Vigano, I had never really heard the term. Nuncio. Archbishop Vigano. Sorry. Sorry. Archbishop Vigano. I had never really heard the term nuncio. And it got me right. wondering about that whole thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people were kind of um, confused because they, you know, you're thinking, okay, the the Pope, you know, he's supported by the College of Cardinals, and so, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't his representative be like Cardinal Donardo, the head of the U.S. Bishops Conference, or right. you know, Cardinal Worrell, you know, because they're BFFs. Um, but yeah, like we learned, uh, the Pope's representative to the United States is called the nuncio, the Apostolic Nuncio, um, mm-hmm. and that's basically the equivalent of a diplomat. Okay, yeah. So uh, when I was reading through this, we we were reading, trying to read up. We we try to read up on these things to make ourselves sound smart. Uh, but the nuncio. What's this term? Legat, legats, L E G A T E S. I would pronounce it legats. Would you call it legates? 
would call it legates, but I yeah. Legates. I'm gonna get so much. We're gonna get so much hate mail about this. That was like we did that whole episode about Archbishop Vigano calling him Vigano. No, yeah, but okay, we we everyone else was too. So you know there were True. we weren't we weren't the one we weren't the we weren't the the ones you know completely screwing up on that. But anyway, so when. Like we said, so when nations are establishing relationships with the church, they um, will maintain an embassy uh, to the Holy See, and that the ambassadors that they send cannot be accredited to the nation of Italy. Um, so you have to in Rome, you know, you would have an Italian embassy, or well, you know, the you know, American embassy and to the Italians, and then you'd have an American embassy to the Holy See. Um, and, and you wouldn't they would be two separate things um, and that is costly but it's you know it's an important point mm-hmm. um, because we're talking about totally different different things um, and so back in the United States for example if you know the first church of what's happening now wanted to interact with the United States government they would have to send a lobbyist mm-hmm. um, which I think the Methodist Church employs lobbyists. Um, I'm not sure who else, but you know, or you could sign a petition, or you could do whatever. Um, but for the Catholic Church, you know, established by Jesus Christ, it it sends an ambassador um, called the nuncio to um, both represent the Pope in the host nation for you know various purposes, and then also um, you know to provide information back to the church and to um you know carry out these diplomatic missions and you have to understand that the church has faithful all over the world um the church has you know a lot to say in her teachings regarding morals and ethics and you know economies Mm -hmm. all of that um it, it makes sense that the church needs this diplomatic service to maintain um its relationship and to effectively carry out its mission um and again, with the sovereignty, there's this quote from John Paul II that captures it. Um, he delivered this to the United Nations um, back in 1979. So this is, uh, this is Pope John Paul II. The territorial extent of that sovereignty is limited to the small state of Vatican City, but the sovereignty itself is warranted by the need of the papacy to exercise its mission in full freedom and to be able to deal with any interlocutor, whether a government or international organization, without dependence on other sovereignties. Okay, so, so can I can I ask a question about what I think that is? Yes. And then we can... So, because, because Vatican City is off on its own, but because of what the church represents, it still needs to be active in areas without having any legal standing. So it needs these, it needs its own people to go in there and kind of make sure that everything is going well on their end. Well, kind of. So basically, you know, the principle here, the church was founded by Jesus Christ and it was given the great commission to, you know, baptize all nations and teach them the faith, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, um, the church was established under Peter as the ultimate earthly authority. Right. Um, for the church to carry out its mission, which is obviously the highest mission of any organization on earth, there has to be essentially the freedom to to do what it's got to do, what it needs to do. And 
in order to maintain that, there is the sovereignty of the church itself, primarily represented by the sovereignty of the pope. So essentially the pope reports to nobody. Well, he reports to God, but he's not answerable to the people. He's not answerable to anybody except God. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's his only earthly superior. And it, it that's not dependent on anything else. You know, in uh, in England, you know, in the Church of England, um, you know, the, the highest authority is the, the sovereign of the United Kingdom. Um, it's currently Queen Elizabeth II. And so the, you know, the highest bishop... Uh, you know, still, at least, you know, in precedence, beneath the queen. Um, now, that doesn't really work like that anymore, but it is still technically true. Um, so the the church doesn't need the permission of any country to carry out its mission. Um, and the best way to maintain that is for the church to be totally sovereign and not have, you know, its entire territory be governed by a different authority, you know, mm-hmm. where the the Pope is the citizen of, you know, Italy or Spain or what, what have you. You know, the Pope is a citizen of the Holy See, and he's the he's the head of it. Um, and then, as a sovereign entity, the way that it relates to other sovereign entities like the United States of America, like um, the United Kingdom, is to send a is through diplomacy. Like sending an ambassador to Chile or something. Yeah, I mean, basically, these are kind of like missions, but they're they're just permanent missions, and mm-hmm. the missionaries are called nuncios. Okay. Um, and you know, I mean, the thing with diplomatic stuff is it's a lot of, I mean, it's probably fun. It's a lot of you know dinners and ceremonies and things. I mean, you look at the Gingriches or the United States. Um, right. What's her name? What's her? Uh. Mrs. Gingrich, Newt Gingrich's wife. Isn't it like Felista or Callista Gingrich? Yes, Callista. I feel bad for forgetting. Yes. So she's the United States ambassador to the Holy See. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, they're over in in Rome acting on behalf of the United States and interacting with the church. Right. So, you know, it's interesting. I I don't think that the... Uh, the church sent or the United States sends an ambassador to uh, the Southern Baptist, but maybe if if someone wants to correct me on that, they can give me a call. Yeah, they they should. So they, yeah, they they basically that's why they can, can therefore like the quote or the the definition I have here is they must therefore concern themselves with the critical issues facing the church in that locality as well as the most complex political issues facing the government to which he is accredited. And these, also, as a side note, these permanent missions, they're called nunciatures. Yeah, nunciatures. Yeah. You're, you're better at the words than I am. Uh, well, it's funny. People make fun of people when you mispronounce words, but that means that you read more than you watch television. So... Oh yeah, no. thank you, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> so okay, yeah, oh, that so, is important because you know God, you know, willed that man, of course, be governed by other men, mm-hmm. um, with the ultimate authority coming from God, and that there would be civil authority and church authority. And so, um, you know, the interaction between church and state is, you know, a big part of his, the history of the world since the time of Christ. I mean, if you look at the the China Agreement that took place legalizing Catholicism in China, and that was wildly controversial, and we're going to sidestep 
talking about that. Mm-hmm. But I mean that that's one example of how the church has, you know, carries out its mission, interacts with, uh, you know, nation states, other powers, and you know has to kind of work this out as as the kingdom of God, but on earth. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is this is kind of this was eye-opening to me at least because it kind of put into context the idea of Vigano's the letter that he wrote yeah so the everybody this summer heard about the term nuncio because the former nuncio to the United States Archbishop Vigano um, sent the letter I, I had my high school reunion that night and Twitter was blowing up and I couldn't I wasn't paying attention um, but we did our emergency episode the next day um, you know it was it was pretty pretty wild stuff and just kind of continued the chaos of last summer and yeah we all learned how to say vegano and then we all heard the word nuncio mm-hmm. uh so when i li- when i you know the the idea of this letter this letter was so like was shocking obviously for the reason he called on pope francis to resign but setting aside that like just all the information it was like it, to me, it was like, what is go like, what is going on? Why is this letter happening? Why is he writing this? But then reading that the nuncio basically is supposed to concern themselves with critical issues facing the church in that locality, it makes sense why, whether you like what he said or not, why someone in his position would feel the need to write a letter like this. Setting aside the fact that he called on Pope Francis to resign, which was a different. I think a different issue altogether, but just like calling out some of the stuff he had seen, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, yeah, that makes, I mean, that's where he had this. If you notice though, um, one of the things he points out is how, as um, Pope Benedict was putting sanctions over uh, Cardinal McCarrick, that was communicated through Archbishop Vigano, Mm -hmm. uh, Papal Mm -hmm. Nuncio. And you, you can kind of see where that, that's the catch is, you know, the church isn't just a kind of a big blob. You have, you know, the Holy See, which is part of the, you know, the Church of Rome, essentially. And then, you know, in the United States, you have the local hierarchies. And so it's it's not, um, it, you know, it, it, ha- it enables the Pope to work closely with the bishops of a nation um, in a way that I think is much more um, efficient and dignified than like the bishops conferences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah because it's it it's the church expands too it's you basically need as many official vatican outlets out there getting the pope's word out to everybody right i mean uh, okay they they put this into place when there wasn't the internet and there wasn't you know wide wide stream communication but even now you know it's you want to make sure that the correct information is getting out there and that the the correct information that you need these people to hear also being put out there so that's where these nuncios can come in yeah and to you know handle matters on behalf of the other party like for um you know last summer when i was traveling to france i didn't i got stuck in united kingdom because my passport was going to expire in three months and Mm. or i think maybe two and france requires someone from the United States to have a passport that has three months of validity. Um, and so, you know, I'm over in the UK and I need a passport. Well, I had to go to the United States embassy. I didn't have to fly back to the United States to interact with representatives from the United States government. And so similarly, you know, the 
the actions of the Holy See in different parts of the world would be carried out. And I think there are parts of the world where the Holy See is much more involved in um, the process of like registering and tracking marriages essentially on behalf of the state. I mean, it's a little different how, how each country interacts with the church. Um, But you know, the church's business and that's something you really can't do um, remotely. You really need to have a physical presence uh, in the country in order to carry out, you know, this type of business and also to, you know, to know what's going on, to know the lay of the land. I mean, you know, the ambassadors are the one that call and notify them of, you know, the president has died or, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, I'm sure it was the nuncio that notified Vatican city when, uh, president Trump was elected. Um, so it is important even in the internet age to have these types of things, to have the kind of human connection and the, the direct line, um, between the heads of state. Yeah, it keep well. Yeah, it keeps the the structure and the authority structure in place, as opposed to like, getting rid of all of them. And being like, okay, the Pope can just the Pope can just use the internet now. We don't need any of this, right? So then you just chip right. away slowly at these things, and it all can come crashing down. Right. He's not going to jump on Twitter and and start tweeting at Trump. You know, um, we could know, we, Trump... we could only hope. We we wish, but he's not going to do it. Right. You know, if Trump steps out of line, it, it, the Pope would obviously instruct his nuncio to, um, you know, knock so, some skulls, right? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, that that's a point. So, okay, there's a thing where people, you know, a big hubbub over denying communion to politicians that go actively against church teaching, right? So is this something that the nuncio would be in charge of or this is more of a local bishops issue or what like it's it's handed down so from in, rome i mean in general it would be you know it would be the the pastor of the parish or the local bishop mm-hmm. of the diocese who right. would have say there the the um, bishop from the person's home diocese so like you know whoever in california is nancy pelosi's home bishop um i i think could weigh in on these things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, that's the authority. Now, if if Rome were wanting to intervene, if they were concerned about how the local bishops were handling the communion to politicians thing, um, right. that's something that could go through the nuncio. Or the Pope could send an apostolic letter. I mean, that, that's the thing. He has his, his options, but, you know, his policy arm and all of that the, the nuncio allows him to to do that mm-hmm. effectively. Okay, yeah. I, so it, it it's it's not setting up the nuncio as the primary man in charge, but basically kind of the overseer, more like. So like he doesn't come in and necessarily interfere with local bishops. He'll he'll get involved if need be, but he doesn't like just step on these guys' toes the whole time. Yes. Okay. Um, and so if, uh, if anyone listening is interested in uh, becoming a, a papal diplomat, um, generally you'd be a priest and you'd, you would be invited to join. Um, you would spend two years studying at the Pontifical Ecclesiastical Academy. Right. Um, and then, you know, you'd be sent on your way. Yeah. They, uh... Uh, it used to be called the Academy for Noble Ecclesiastics, which is such a better name, but that's okay. Yeah, in that in that 
thing I was reading that you sent me that don't don't they describe the building that made the building sound like very old and regal? Yes, a grand a house in a grand burnt sienna colored palazzo on the uh, Piazza Minerva. Oh, Rome, wow! Just above the famous Gamarelli clerical house. Wow, that's a, yes, that's that's pretty good. They. I like it. It said that Pope Clement XI founded the Academy in the early 1800s when diplomacy was at its apex. I don't know what that, like, what does diplomacy at its apex mean? Was, like, everybody was communicating peacefully at that time or, like, they, I, any idea? Well, I mean, this, I guess, was before the the fall of the Papal States and mm-hmm. um, before, you know, all these wars broke out. So, yeah, yeah I guess I don't know the historical context about why it was the apex of diplomacy in the when uh, Pope Clement the Eleventh was in office? We 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 never diplomacied before that, and we haven't diplomacied quite as well after that. Yeah, and so the the diplomats have to be able to speak and read Italian thoroughly mm-hmm. um, in order to be part of this. But generally, they're actually from all over the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they're also supposed to know Latin too. Um, so that's one thing that's been a trend in the church is more involvement of non-Italians in the ranks at the Holy See. And so whether they're diplomats or part of the Curia, which we'll talk about the Curia in a future episode, um, and, you know, the Pope himself. I mean, our current Pope is, you know, from Argentina. Uh, His predecessor was German, and his predecessor was Polish. So, um, you know, non-Italians are taking a more active role in these these things, Um, and non-Europeans even, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean... You don't want to see too many Americans get involved, but they're, uh, you know, it's becoming somewhat more worldwide, and um, I think that's an interesting trend. I don't know that I have an opinion one way or the other, but that's what's been happening. Yeah, I mean, as the church, as at some point as the world was growing and as people were living in new areas, it's only natural that the new leaders of the church would come from those areas, right? As opposed to it being so contained in a certain area and it being just one one country of people were spreading out, Zach. Yes. And so, yep, so to any promising priests out there, you would just need the bishop to recommend you, probably to the nuncio, who would go to um, the Secretariat of State, which is Cardinal uh, Pietro Perlin currently, um, Mm -hmm. and become a papal diplomat. But if you do, um, please invite us over for for dinner. Yeah, I'd like that. I would enjoy going, or we could just go there to the, that very elegant place that you described earlier, Zach. Overlooking, yeah, so we won't snatch at anybody's hands. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so is that it? Is that all we got on nuncios this week? Um, yeah. I mean, just to add, it's not just to um, nations that the church establishes these kinds of missions. They also do um, that with international organizations as well. So, you know, the church has a relationship with the United Nations and, um, you know, it's a Brexit. It's how the church. (laughs) Right. Well, that's what I said. I said, you know, okay, they should have the church negotiate Brexit. I got uh, 100% negative replies from anybody from Britain. But, um, (laughs) yeah, you know, I mean, he's the there's they've got like six million Catholics in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um but the Pope is very opposed to nationalism, so I, I feel like he's kind of right there, you know. Yeah, we need to need to chip chop send that nuncio to Brexit. Yes, 
Um, and so, you know, it's nice. And the, the church, by doing these things, sets an example for other nations to emulate, um, you know, instructs nations on proper governance and, um, you know, how to run a society and stays thoroughly involved in uh, diplomatic affairs. All right, Zach, time for Saints of the Week. You interested, you interested in one of those? Yeah. Saint John of Damascus, born in 675 or 676 in Damascus, died December 4th, 749. Feast day, March 27th. When you see him, some of the attributes, some things attributed to him, I should say, are severed hand. And he is the patron of pharmacists, icon painters, and theology students. Now, okay, wait. Is I got to jump in there. Icon painter yeah. or icon writer, Zach? I knew where you were going. Uh, icons are written. You you write icons. Um. Okay, perfect. That's a really fun, uh, you know, cocktail party uh, thing to impress your friends is that icons are not painted or drawn or they're written. Um. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So he's a patron of icon writers. We'll just amend that. We'll f- we'll fix that in post. Uh, so he's often referred to as the doctor of the assumption due to his writings on the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The, ch- the church regards him as a doctor of the church. He was born in Damascus, as we already said, to a family known as Mansour. And the family was named after his grandfather, who had been responsible for the taxes of the region during the reign of Emperor Heraclius. He was very well educated. Some, he was basically considered a polymath. And it is, came from his dad. His dad wanted him to learn not only the books of the Muslims, but of those of the Greeks as well. And it is even suggested that he grew up bilingual. He showed Whoa. some knowledge. Yeah, he showed some knowledge of the Quran and but he also harshly criticized it. He was said to have rivaled Pythagoras in arithmetic and Euclid in geometry and he made great advances in music, astronomy and theology. He is a refugee from Italy and Cosmos, Cosmos brought with him the scholar, scholarly traditions of western Christianity. So basically he just had all these things he can learn and he spent all his time learning uh, whatever he could he became a priest a, a monk and then he became a priest in the year 735 and let's see his last days he died in 749 as a revered father of the church and he's sometimes called the last of the church fathers. And in 1890, that's when he was declared a doctor of the church by Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Excellent. And that's uh, that's old Saint John of Damascus. Well, Saint John of Damascus, pray for us. Yep. Anything else before we close it out, Zach? I don't think so. Check out our Patreon. Uh, we uh, by the time I put this up i think i will have put up our first ever full-length patreon episode where we just kind of ramble for an hour about all the goings-ons it's a doozy yeah and we'll try and do more of those it was fun all right we'll talk to you all next week see ya